just to sit back and appreciate a lot of things that you know that you're normally used to doing a lot of the things that are always at you know the reach of your hand and um you know it takes time and patience you have to be patient and you know being able to uh, you know mentally be tough at this point and you know be strong so steve man i mean <clears throat> you know coming up man be following in your footsteps you know, you being a big bro, you know, all the way through from, man, from hooping all the way to advice, to college, to Nate, to everybody. Uh, man, I think it was important that I had you on my show because everybody used to ask, it'd be like, where is Steve? You know, what's going on with Steve? And uh, so one of the things I wanted is, man, look, people need to know your history, you know your background. They hear all this other stuff, but I want them to hear it from your mom. You know what I mean? And uh, so I, I kind of want to start off right with like, you know, tell us about your, I mean, your childhood, your upbringing, the family life, man. What like, who influenced your game? You know what I mean? Cause I know you went through a lot as a kid. So give a little people, give our fan base a little bit of your history. I think for me, um, you know, growing up in a melting pot and, and DC and Maryland and occasionally going to Virginia, like, you know, I, I would really just study like so many different guys um, from big men to guards to forwards and you know, not being of, of, of size from, you know, when I first started at nine years old, but, you know, playing with my brothers, my brothers used to play defense on me every day. You know, they're much bigger than me. And, you know, getting through that first wave because I wouldn't be able to come home and eat, you know, those type of things, just walking out of the house that started the discipline. And once you get that type of discipline and that hunger, and you really find a love for something, that you have access to every day. And um, that's just, you know, that was my motto, man, just trying to take something from everybody that I crossed paths with, um, young, old, um, big man, like I said, or guard. So all those things play a big part in me growing up playing basketball. Mm. And um, so, I mean, your family, so basically your, your environment, your your environment basically made you know what I'm saying your game. Um, tell us about like those you know what I'm saying that those that raised you. I mean like you know. Tell us about you know what I mean like you say you playing one on one with your you, you know your brothers your brothers playing defense like tell us about the neighborhood tell us about the environment tell us about um, you know Steve Francis before he stepped on the court what that 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 philosophy that made made you because I mean. At, from where I was, you know, when I used to watch you, man, I saw it was the way you play, you had a shiftiness about you, a uh, creativity about you, and there was hunger behind that. You know what I mean? So, and, and when you finish, you never finish soft. And, and you know, when you was running that rim, you never finish soft. So your creativity, that shiftiness, that 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 grit that added to your game um, to get people out of your business, to, how, how, how did your environment growing up create that in your game? Like, like you said, like growing up, um, you know, kind of the way that we did, we moved so many different times. You know, moving and being able to adjust to different school systems, being able to adjust to different atmospheres. Um, and one, getting a chance to play against all, uh, all different talent. You know, I'm playing against guys in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, anywhere that I get an opportunity to play. Um, that and, um, you know, the way that I was molded, being raised and seeing, you know, people go good, you know, down the good way. I seen people go down bad paths and all types of things and not wanting to be, you know, the one that, that stood out in the bad crowd. But 
you know, get some experience and get some strengths because you, you you're not going to be able to escape the hood without being able to you know to do, you know get in some things and so people can respect you. But long story short, but basketball wise, that was my outlet to to, to get you know uh, myself stable and mentally just to be strong enough to go out there and stay away from the streets, man. Because it's everywhere, you know that, Chris. It's everywhere. Uh, that you can imagine. So tell our listeners and our viewers what it is to play in the DMV. I think at, at, at this point, man, like, I think the approach starts like whenever you know where you gonna, who you're going to go play, where you're going to play, what time. Like, I think, like, when you come to play from that area, everybody's coming like they're going to an actual game. I know that was the way that we approached the game when we played at Tacoma Park, man. Chris, you were there every, I mean, we played to one, two o'clock in the morning, um, day after day. So just to go in there and bump with anybody, uh, you can go um, to any, you can go uptown, you can go to, to the farms with Miles, shout out to Miles and Barry Farms. What he's done over the last 25 years over there has been so phenomenal. And like things like that, George Sauer, Coach Thompson. Um, for me, those are the things. That, those are the things that I think that Washington needs to get back to because you have a lot of kids who see the people that come from there, but they really don't see the day to day grind. A lot of the players go out of town to train, and nothing's wrong with that. But you know, for me, you know, being in Houston, so I, I thought it was good that I trained back home uh, to just to you know to, to, to play with some other people, teach some other people some things. And also get away from, you know, the regular season that that was here. But you know, people do it differently. But uh, that was the way that I approached it. So, you said approach. It's been well noted that you went to um, junior college before you went to Maryland. Tell us a little bit about your experience in junior college. With everything you said, you know, you you were molded in the DMV. You had that grit. You you finished strong in the rim. Um, if anybody pulls up Steve Francis on highlights, they'll see that you usually, you were airborne. And um, for me, my favorite dunk of all time was your your college highlight reel. You know, we put it behind the back and kind of lean. Uh, I, I'm not even gonna lie. I used to lower my rim in, in the backcourt to like eight and a half, nine, so I can have Steve <laughs> Francis like bunnies. <laughs> Real talk, bro. Yo, 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 you got to, <laughs> you know, behind the back, lean, and ah! I mean, tell us a little bit about You got to yeah. You got to yeah. And, <laughs> and you went to junior college, man. At that time, that route was not near impossible, but damn near impossible. You don't understand what I'm saying. Right. It was, um, I had, like, even though I went to two different junior colleges, I, I, I went, I left here from Pasadena, Texas, and went back to Maryland to a local junior college. But uh, I had opportunity to go out of junior college. But for me, my dream was always to play at one of the local colleges. Uh, Georgetown was first on my list, of course. But what Coach told me, it added up. He just finished with Allen, so he couldn't take another one. So, you know, that was easy for me to go to Maryland. So that's how that went there. Coach was like, nah, Steve. And I, you know, that's Coach, man. So. He let me play there as much as I want to, so. Man, I, I was going back to what you was talking about, man, playing out in the streets, man. I remember I remember just, man, being on the court and watching you and Jamie Scary and everybody out there bumping. And I remember me just being happy when I got on the floor with you guys. And when I got on the floor with you guys, I remember the first thing, I don't know whether it was a habit. Y'all were like, man, go at him. And, man, that, it, it, that like, Going against y'all being shifted, I felt there was nobody in college or even in the pros. I remember being at Tacoma Park, but us being Tacoma, it was you, Jay, um, I forgot who else. Oh, Elton, Elton Brand. It was we, we had we were in the little gym, man. We was bumping yeah, hard, and, and I was a big man. <laughs> I remember the bumps, man, and I was like, I was like, man, at that point in time, I feared nobody. No, it was nobody in this world that was that I thought that was as shifty as y'all that could get bucks and move the way y'all move. So I felt like that that development is missing with these young fellas today because I don't think they. I felt like I earned a spot to play out there with y'all when I did get a chance to play. A lot of these kids, I don't think they had that. 
when you became a regular, this is how I knew you became a regular. When you became a regular, when we went to good counsel, you would meet us there early. I'm like, damn, young fella here early? You would meet us at good counsel at your school early. So I was like, damn, he, he, he already there. Me, he's there. And we would be in there, mm-hmm. you know, some type of games people would never, you know, Lonnie would come in and all of us would just be writing good counsel all day long, man. So those type of memories before social media, like, like you said, man, those type of things kind of molded. You guys went 28 and six. Um, and uh, at that time, I'm not even gonna lie, I was the ultimate diehard Maryland fan. And um, I'm not gonna say I hated Duke, but I really disliked Duke because that rivalry at that time when they went to the ACC was real. It was like the realest thing, that and North Carolina, of course. But give us a little bit about that one year you had at Maryland. Like, what was the experience like? Um, what did you bring to the table? And how did Coach Williams help you to the next level? I think it was a, um, it was a good effort. I mean, it, it was a, a total effort for my grandmother to Coach Williams because – Behind all the hype of me going to school at home, man, it was so much, man. It was overwhelming for me. And also it was a dream come true. You know, don't, don't, I couldn't let the opportunity pass to, to not be able, similar to the kid that's going to Howard. He sees that that's something that he wants to do and he wants to be the first to do it. So I commend him from setting the trend. So by me going back home and playing, I was picking up with Walt and the people before me. Um, you know, left it, and um, Lenny, um, like all those guys, like all that played uh, in my decision to go back home and to play in Maryland, man, it was just like to my, 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 my rep and playing at home, so just playing right up the street from where we grew up, and to have that support from the community, and especially Coach Williams, who told me he wouldn't let me entertain the agents and all those type of things and just to keep a clean head make sure I make my classes and basketball will take care of itself what is his name maker maker hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly um he's going to HBCU he's going to Howard shout out to the bison um tell us a little bit about how you think that's going to affect five-star recruits um, going to more HBCUs because he called out Mikey Williams and Mikey Williams is going to his sophomore year and he's supposed to be um, right now he's ranked by ESPN the number three player in his class but everybody's really high on him um, he's like a highlight reel like yourself I'm pretty sure I think he's like two inches shorter than you are he's like listed a six one and a buck a buck seventy probably but the kid can really get up he got bounce and he's got game he can shoot um Tell us a little bit about that. What do you think? How do you think that wave is going to move? Because that 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 kind of puts a different narrative on it to where now a lot of the HBCUs are coached by African-American coaches. And let's see if the prices or let's see if the ticket prices go up to the games. Let's see if those black coaches, if they get those type of uh, pay raises, those incentives for wins, those incentives for national televised games. So I think that's a, a game changer right there. And I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here to support it. Um, I got friends that coach at HBCUs. I got, um, you know, um, you know, interest in the, the direction that's, that's going. Um, if it was on the table in my era, I mean, this stuff with all the media, uh, social media and all that, you can be seen in your kitchen hooping and just put it on live and, you know, people can catch. So I, I don't think it's a bad decision. And I encourage more kids to go that route because the education is completely more for this world, what we're seeing today. Coming out of, coming out of, coming out of Maryland, um, we're leading up to draft night. And uh, tell me about the, those, those months leading up to draft night. I mean, you know, you could have been number one, number two, you won, you know, you weren't falling no longer farther to two. Um, tell us about, you know, behind the scenes, what people didn't know about that, what they considered the forced trade or that the details on that. Like, you know, as me sitting at home, I'm tuned in. I'm like, he go one, you know what I'm saying? But without people getting that insight, like what was going on in your head? What was going on like with your agent? Like what were y'all thinking at that time? Um, 
I think that uh, back, I think once the season ended, I had a you know open workout for probably four or five teams on campus at Maryland, and um, you know the general manager at the time for the Grizzlies came up, and uh, you know we 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 talked uh, at the workout. Um, it wasn't the one that I didn't have to go there, so uh, we talked. We had dinner, and it was it was a straight up conversation, and. Um, you know, I was just like, hey, man, I, I really appreciate you guys wanting me, but, you know, y'all drafted Mike Bibby the year before. And uh, as a man, I, I told him, I was like, the taxes were a little bit too high. You'll get double tax going in. And then it was far. Like, I've never been to Canada before then, but I didn't want to start my career like that. And um, as you can see now, like the team relocated, um, not saying because of me, but I'm happy that I wasn't caught up in it. But should I have handled it uh, differently the way that I did it on the stage? Yeah, but like a lot of people know, I show my emotions on my shoulders, especially when it comes to sports. Speaking of handling, I remember that night vividly. You were you were visibly upset. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where, you know, <laughs> I, I, I remember you balling up and being like, damn, not that. And I was like, whoa. Um, but I think, honestly, how did you like the move to Houston, though? I, I feel like it worked out. Ours, there at the time, they had some veterans. I guess that they were trying to weave in and out. And there was no stability as far as where I would play in Vancouver. So to come to Houston just to hear Kim Elijah my name alone and to know that I went to school, like I said earlier, in Pasadena, it was like, man, I love this opportunity and let's make it happen. And I've been, you know, here ever since then. Uh, I made it my residence, um, you know, tax reasons. And, you know, it, it, I think it turned out good for both Vancouver and uh, the Rockets. Talk about, talk about those tax reasons. I, I was just reading something the other day. I think you... Uh, you just put one of the, one of the properties up for or for sale, if I'm not correct. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was one of the. I think that's that's one of the things that I've been doing a lot of real estate. Um, I've been going to class. Um, of course, we stopped going to class since quarantine. So, but for me, I'm more of a in class type learner. And um, so, uh, yeah, that's one of the properties that I had since 2004. One of the I think like the third houses I've you know, built here in Texas. So, um, yeah, it's some, some of the things that I've been investing in over, you know, a period of time that's been keeping me stable and building, like you said, my portfolio. So eventually I, you know, be able to step out and do some of the other big things that I have planned down the line. And see, and see, that's where that, one of the things that I've been doing since I've been, I retired, this is basically real estate. So I've been on the multifamilies. I've been doing, you know, commercial, uh, mixed commercial use joints. I, you know, offline, we, we definitely talk <laughs> because man, I love to pick your brain about what you're doing. And uh, my aunt is out there and she in Dallas actually. So, you know what I'm saying? She do real estate out there and she tell me about the market out there and how, how you know, she how she's working it. So yeah, man, that's, yeah, yeah, that's definitely it. The real estate is different here. The real estate is different here compared to Maryland, D.C., and Virginia because uh, I think because, of course, we all know that land isn't going anywhere. And a lot of things are spread out. And um, and I think in the future, you will see a lot of people building their own cities. That's how much land. And that's a lot of people here talking about building their own cities. Maybe it'd be 20 houses, 30 houses, or things like that. But people are really interested as I've been hearing, um, since was a lot of the, you know, COVID's been going on, a lot of people are talking about probably moving into the uh, cities on their own. So how do you tell your fellow, um, what's the word, NBA players or professional players that play somewhere else when they're, when they're about to retire on their, they're in that transition, like, like, what do you say to them? Like, what kind of advice do you give them? when they're moving into the second phase or the next phase in their life? Uh, one of the most important things that I, I tell a lot of people that I had to learn, um, and, and I had to ask people about this, get all out of it you can. If you know that you have a date or the time, 
just get out of it out as you can because that light, you know, that window is a short part of your life. You still have, you know, before you made it to the NBA and after, just, you know, play as much as and long as you possibly can. And um, when you think that you're uh, about that, just enjoy your time there because you won't get that that same time back. And um, and once you transition, just, you know, don't, um, don't try to rush into something immediately. Just take your time, do your due diligence, let your body heal, let your mind heal, uh, let your bank account heal, let your everything that you, you know, everything that you've been grinding for the, over, the, over those nine months for the past, however many years you played in the NBA, uh, sometimes it can be 12 months, but for that period of time, man, you just got to unwind and, uh, you know, let things come to you and don't rush. So I would say before a lot of athletes even retire, a lot of them run into situations with um, fraudulent, you know, um, money managers, you know, financial advisors. I mean, listen, and it happens on all scales. It happens to NBA guys, it happens to overseas guys as well. Um, what is your advice to our young, our youngest listening on this on this call about, you know, how they should approach money managers and and, and financial guys that's that's in their circle? You know what I mean? Because um, I, I think a lot of them don't know how to handle it. Some leave it up to the agents. Some leave it up to pop. You know, their family. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? What is your what is your advice? You know what I'm saying? Based off of your experience um, dealing with with agents and, and you know fraudulent folks. A lot of it for the players that they don't know when they're young, they're basically, you're your own entity, you're your own commodity. So um, a lot of young people don't tend to understand that until they have someone else tell them that. But in actuality, and I'm so happy that the NBA now is doing literacy about younger kids getting to know that they control their own destiny. Um but where it gets kind of fishy when you get around those AAU teams and you get around people who see that potential, and that's when the yeast, when I say yeast, the yeast of swelling the kids up to where you're ranked this, you're ranked that, you should be able to get this and that. And that's when the problems come in, when the parents start thinking. And as we know, there's three, 420, 450 jobs in the NBA. And very seldom, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough, it's a tough lift to make it to the league. But when you got people that tell you you're all this or all that, that right there alone should humble you and put a red flag up because you know that very very few people make it to that level. So that should that should give you, you know, a pat on the shoulder and make you want to work harder to, to be successful yourself. Um, as far as, you know, the hanger owners and those, you're going to have that. And, it, and I think that, as I was saying in the beginning, your upbringing plays a, a major part in the people you decide who you're going to hang with, uh, the time that you decide uh, that you want to go out. Um, and most importantly, uh, having a relationship with, you know, if if you do make it to the NBA, having a relationship with the Players Association at the beginning of your career is one of the best things that you possibly can do. Um, I've seen a lot of players go that route. And the NBA Players Association is willing to help. But like I said, a lot of young kids are poisoned, but you got to get the jewelry. You got to take care of this person and that person. And if I could have skipped that phase of my career, I think I would have, if I look back, I would have, I would have skipped that phase. But um, it's all a part of a learning experience, but you got to have someone in your corner besides, you know, your family or the people who say you're, you're, you're better than sliced bread. You got to have some real people who um, have experience, who really their motive isn't to, to shine more than you, but to try to get you to that next level. And like you said earlier, prepare you for after basketball. You mentioned um, a couple of things that I want to go back to. So 10 years ago, LeBron made the decision, right? He, he moved from Cleveland to his beach house in Miami and decided to play with the Heat. Like, what do you think that did for um, NBA athletes moving forward? Because there was a transition after that. Um, <clears throat> and that wasn't, it wasn't just the big three. It was multiple big-time teams, like super teams. Like, how do you see that going forward? Because now that the NBA kind of scaled it back and said, okay, let's 
have two superstars now on each team instead of the three and four that we got accustomed to for the past 10 years. Well, I, I don't think they can control how many superstars. Anybody can turn to a superstar overnight, like the kid from Toronto, uh, number 43. Um, he, he's a really good player. So, um, but um, I didn't. Yeah, Siaka, that's his name. He, he's he, he's a good player. You can tell, like I said, he works on his game. But, um, you know, with the salary cap as it is, you know, teams are spending large amounts of money. and um, you know, they can bring in as many players, but did I ever see something like that coming? Um, I think a lot of people don't remember. Well, before I got to the Rockets, they had a, a mini super team. I mean, they had Charles Barkley, who uh, came here. They had Scotty Pippen, who came here to play with Akeem Olajuwon. So it's been going on, but not teams haven't really been able to win like we've seen in the past with, I mean, recently with Miami, with those three, and then you see, uh, the Golden State. So um, social media has a lot to do with it, and everybody wants to see high scoring games, and that's how the game is, you know, evolved to me. Now we're going to jump forward, and we talk about that time in Houston. Um, y'all will, y'all will, you know, there was a coaching change, and you know, Van Gundy came in, and I kind of want you to sum up because when Van Gundy, Van, Van Gundy came in, it was kind of like a whole little like it just it just spirals tell people like behind the scenes like what they were missing you know you know a lot of times everything was reported how people want to report it but you know tell people about your 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 the houston time to going to new york you know what i'm saying and and, and that 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 pop right there and, and also which people don't know because people were, were hearing misconfused but um i'm not even sure how to pronounce the name of the, the disease that you were diagnosed with but it was uh how you say it, Steve? It was uh, near, Ms. Near. Near. Yeah. So, like, tell, tell everybody how that, how that, like, how that whole, that, that time frame, how that all, that played out in, for, you, for you behind the scenes. Well, first of all, man, um, when Rudy decided to retire, like, the funniest shit, man, excuse me, because the funniest thing, man, he said, we was about to make the playoffs. We in Denver, man. Me and Catino out there. We sights. We out there showboating. And we had halftime, and we're supposed to beat Denver. And this was a crucial game. He comes in at halftime. He said, if y'all keep playing like that, it's going to be another ugly motherfucker coaching y'all next year because we're going to lose. So me and Catino's <laughs> laughing. We're laughing like you ain't going nowhere. We laughing. I'm like, shit, we're going to come back. We didn't come back. We lost. So then the last game of the season, he announced that, you know, he got sick. And I knew, you know, he, he really was sick. And then he retired. I was like, oh, shit. And I, I mean, I was just stuck for a long time. And then uh, they were, I didn't even consult in the coaching surgery. They did that. I, I mean, I didn't, at that time, I wasn't even, thinking about the business of basketball because, you know, I was just in my third year, fourth year, something like that. I and, um, yeah, my fourth year. And then I was just like, man. And I just signed my new contract. And they were like, damn. They, and I and I heard a lot about Van Gundy, how he coached. They were like, man, practice going to be hard. And I'm like, shit, it ain't going to be hard for me. So I'm like, man, we get to practice. We had shoot around. We running up and down court in the morning. I'm like, oh. Then we got a game tonight, and we like practicing. And one, I mean, it was fun because I, I'm a competitive athlete, but as it wears and tear on your body, so that that right there was something for me. But you could tell, even though we had a successful season, he didn't like the relationship between me and Coutinho. He even said that he didn't like the relationship. Um, but, uh, you know, coaches are going to be coaches, and they're going to get the high road. Uh, even though he said I went to the Super Bowl, I never went to. I got suspended, joked on, lost so much money in endorsements and all of that. And But, of course, they're going to believe him. And so for me right there, I knew that it was a complete business. And then after that, uh, I go to him, like, in the summer, I'm like, hey, man, I'm hearing rumors that I'm going to get traded. So I went straight to his door, which was officer asked him right before I worked out. And he was like, nah, the next thing I know. So, you know, I mean, it's a business. And, uh, you know, at first I was 
First, I was like, man, I ain't going to Orlando. I was like, man, nah, 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 nah. Because I just said, built my new house that you said. that Actually, I just had built that house right there. I just okay. had built that house that year. So that's where I was at the Super Bowl. So that's why I was like, shit, I just built this house. I went and watched the Super Bowl at the house. I'm going to have my plane on the clearport. And I, after the game's over, I'm going to be out. I'll be there ready. But, yeah, so after that, man, with, with, with that experience, that woke me up to the business of basketball. You mentioned Contino Mobley, right? Tell us, tell our, our viewers and listeners how much fun you had playing with Contino. It was, and Chris, no, but Chris, when you and Joe used to play, you knew where Joe was at. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, it's a no-brainer. Like, it's like, all right, cool. I know what he's going to do every night. If there's one ticker in his army, I know. So if there's one in my hill, no. So that's how you play off with somebody that you're accustomed to playing with. And playing for with each other for a long period of time, the camaraderie comes, you know, where each other know where each other be on the court, and that's where it's fun because everybody's seeing each other eat at the same time. So, um, you know, I was asking, um, we got guys like Bradley Beal um, and John Wall, CJ McCollum and Dame, um, Dame Dollar. We got um, Clay and Steph. And um, there's a plethora of more backwards. They're super dynamic. And I always tell Chris, I say, Chris, today's basketball is – a glorified rec game because the defense is different. You got more room. You got more spacing to do certain things. And guys are actually taking that um, that quote unquote what used to be a stupid shot and a dumb shot, you know, that Gilbert shot. Now it's become the common normality. So tell us how you will compare your backcourt to the courts, um, those backcourts, and how would you do in today's game if you were still playing? Hold on, hold on. Before, before Steve answers this, Steve needs to know the characteristic of the man he's speaking to. Like, Steve, this man said LeBron is better than MJ. So I just want you, before you answer this question, I just want you to know, <laughs> I just want you to know who you speak, he's speaking to right now. He's, yeah, so go ahead and answer this question. But I just, go ahead and answer this question. Well, um, <laughs> I, uh, one thing that I can say, the one thing that I can say in today's game, today's game, the leniency of being a, like you said, you even said it, the Gilbert shot. Like, you can do that, but the respect of the game, not even, even in my era, even the era before, even the era before that, like, the defense was tough. And even if you had the ability to do those shots, like people, people wanted to see, you know, they're playing team back. People want to see, team, even though you have individuals, even if me and Catino have a hundred together, you still go get some heat back then. But now that's all good if two people just scoring. But um, if we had the opportunity just to play two man ball, I'm not sure. Like at any point to where, um, for me, my first year I had to find Hakeem. My second year, I had to find a king. So all the time, I always had a big target I had to give the ball to. But if me and Katina was able to rip a run, man, I don't know, man. Like, I think we'd have gave him a run for that money today's game. Because, like like you said, especially basketball, I really see a lot of guys are just going north and south and just pulling up. But, like, I don't really – there's a little something missing in there. I mean, for me, sometimes it seems like the NBA game has become – an extension of summer league because you know in summer league it's more so don't get hurt let me drop buckets endless buckets and keep it moving and i feel like that's what harden does to, in today's game i mean he's unguardable in today's game um but nonetheless i do have a question for you do you have any kobe stories uh i got a million of them um one recipes he's the most competitive Competer, I haven't played against or with, man. Playing with him in the All-Star games, we never lost. We won three of them. And uh, he would make sure that we played defense. He would have the coach sub, whoever wasn't playing defense out in the fourth quarter. I mean, that was a given. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, my first playoff series, we were playing them in Houston. And I'm I'm, I'm jammed. I'm a hype. The first year, the Toyota Center coming. I mean, we opened it up. Um 
we opened the Toyota Center up and um, I'm hyped, man. I'm like, damn, the arena's jam-packed. It's my first playoff series, uh, first home game. We lost to them in L.A. the first two games. So the first place Shaq comes with a jump hook, I go to them, boom, block that. I was psyched. I did it on purpose just trying to set the tempo for the game. Four plays later, man, Kobe swinging through the middle, man, and I'm on the help side. And I, and I don't know why. I was like, I'm going to be the one to block this dunk. And this is when the camera underneath first really came out. And, I, you know, your left hand, to me, my left hand is long. So I went all the way up on my left hand. I just heard the loudest and seen the darkest ever. And it wasn't Shaq dunking on me. I just, it just, it just got dark, man. And that was Kobe, man. He came, and it was so loud. It was just loud, man. It's in the playoffs. Everything just got quiet. And that run for me after I got dunked on like that back to run the play, I didn't even, as a point guard, I just told Cat to get the ball. I just ran to the corner. If you ever get an opportunity to see that highlight, and they replayed it on sports, and I'm like 50 times, man. And um, we won the game, though. That was the only win that we got, but it was it was crazy, man. But then the other story, man. This comes from I didn't see this, but I I can imagine. This comes from Lamar Odom, right? So Lamar, I know I know Lamar through Shamika Hoskar, they're Queensbridge people. Um, oh, you know Lamar's yeah, me, my girl, my ace, and um, you know me and Lamar been cool. And, uh, you know, after the game, this was, you know, when he first got to the Lakers, I was like, yo, how is it playing with Kobe? He's like, yo, let me tell you, you're talking to me and Cat, because him and Coutinho were there, Rhode Island connection. So, we, you know, we went out, we would talk and all of that. So I was like, yo, how is it playing with Kobe? He's like, yo, let me tell you, say, one day we was in Cleveland, right? He said, man, we missed him three times in a row, and we missed three times in a row. He said, Cole came to the huddle. Everybody was sitting down. The coach was talking with the clipboard. He said, Kobe smacked the clipboard. He said, yo, don't none of y'all shoot the ball, but eight and seven. The rest of y'all get the scraps. Yo, I was like, in the huddle? He said, he came to the huddle said, y'all get the scraps. Nobody else shoot the ball. I was like, yo. I think I seen that on TV. I didn't read it, man. Mm-hmm. It, it, it comes to play. Like, that's how competitive. But when he said, y'all get the scrap, just the rebounds, I was like, yeah, they were playing just like that. But yeah, man, that was funny, man. With Lamar, the way Lamar explained it, man, that was funny as heck. Man. So, so man, we, 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 we touched based about the time in, in, in Houston. You know, we we be running into now uh, Orlando, New York, but we saw what it was there. Just tell us, tell us about how, like, when you started. When did you start feeling um, like the symptoms of the disease? When did you get diagnosed? Like, how did you how did you find out about the disease, um, and how did that affect your game? Because I remember, you know, it was talk about migraines and stuff like that. Like, you know, what I'm saying, what? How did that? You know, actually, it was before. It was like. Um, it was right before I signed my extension, probably like my fourth, third, fourth year. And uh, I, I was, man, at that point, at that time in my life, I was eating a lot of fast food. You know, I wasn't, my diet was off. I was eating recklessly. And it was, a, it came from a salt imbalance, an intake of too much salt and processed food. And, um, and it, it, it was, to me, it, it was a wake-up call about eating healthy, and that was that was hard because I would be dizzy, vertigo, um, like even to this point, like um, I could barely hear. I got you know some some receding, not headline, but uh, hearing in my right ear, and um, <laughs> you know it was. I'm talking about it. Was, it was so hard, man. I would I would have to lay, you know, um, in dark rooms, you know. I would play one game, be sick the next day, and this went on. So I went to the Mayo Clinic, um, got a chef, changed my diet, uh, got more, you know, um, 
more rest and paid attention to more what I ate. And that, you know, kind of to this day, I still do the same, you know, uh, low sodium intake. That, uh, I very seldom put salt in my food. And um, so that that was tough. Um, but um, the, 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 the drive for me to continue to play basketball through it was, was much stronger than that. And uh, that helped me. But, you know, when I got traded from, from here, from Houston to Orlando, it was a change of pace. You know, we had a good thing going. We were out the box way better than they were the year before. We were the number one seed in the East. Uh, our coach was coach of the month. We lost two games. And the next month, they trade Catino. And after that, things just went haywire. We had three coaches in the two years. Uh, we drafted the White, which was a good thing for the organization. And um, so, like I said, at that point, uh, basketball was still the number one thing. But like I said, business was something I was coming into at that transition. So then after after Orlando, you moved to New York. You got to play with Stephen, Stephen Marbury. How was that? With y'all too, that's a mean, by the way, that's a mean, like, that's a mean backcourt right there. How was how was that? That's a lot of bucket. We were Dumas and Isaiah Thomas coming. But Larry Brown didn't. Larry Brown was like, nope, Isaiah. When, when you got the coach and a, and the president arguing, and you come into that, and you got Steph in them arguing, so I knew nothing about this before I got traded. Mind you, when I got traded from Orlando, we had a game in Jersey across the bridge that same night, and they were like, they were like, uh, they were like, um, you got traded to New York. I'm like, well, I, I mean, we were talking about it through the day, but I was like, damn, they gonna do it today. And we right across the street, so they were like, the trade's done. And I, that's how I went down, man. I, and they sent the limo to come pick me up. That was a good thing. So I'm gonna follow up. So, so like, so we done touch base. So, I mean, you you done seen the highs of the highs and. And you also, we, we, we talked about that, but you also see some lows. And there was a lot of personal stuff that 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 you, that I've read in articles that 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 they said you was dealing with. And at, me and you, I've seen from time to time, and we never really got to sit down and chop it up. And uh, I always wanted to ask. So after you know, as the as the NBA, you, you, you going out of the NBA. Talk about what was going on personally at that time. I, I know you had some family stuff going on. Like elaborate on on, on that, um, um, because there was like, they, there was talks and articles, and maybe the people need to know if it's true or not, like about the alcohol and things of that nature. Like tell people just to clear up the story. Like what was going on at that point in time of your life, as as you know you were leaving the Knicks, and then Knicks and the organization had their issues as you was moving on from there. Tell everybody about that that last phase of the the, the NBA. It, it was like, like I said, it was, it was a business, man, for me. And you know, like when I when I left Orlando, when I when I told you I got traded to New York, man, it was just like, wow. Um, everything, everything came so fast from uh, being traded from Orlando to New York. And when you get to New York, man, the lights are on, so you got to be able to play every single night, or they will boo you. Um, you know, playing in New York um, uh, for two years where, you know, we, we, we were definitely trying to be a playoff uh, caliber team, but making so many different decisions, like I was saying earlier, from the front office and the coach and the players, not really seeing face-to-face, eye-to-eye. So after that, like my second season, I went to management. I talked to the Rockets. I was like, look, I said, you know, I talked to them personally. I was like, look, man. Um, I don't, I don't really see anything prospering for me out here. So we reached out to some teams for a buyout. Um, Houston was one, Dallas, Miami, uh, everywhere. So, uh, it was a decision. And like I said, I was already mad that I just, not this house, this is another house, but, um, I was already a little upset that I had to, to leave from the house that I just built to go to Orlando. So I was like, why don't I just go, you know, just finish your career in Houston. And, um, you know, things will, you know, get better as far as New York. Boom, I get back to Houston here. New coach, not Van Gundy, of course. Um, 
You got Rick Adaman, who's a you know up and down guy, uh, who, who promised me every single thing in the world. Uh, I would play and I would play and I would play. So um, cool. So I get back to Houston. I'm doing phenomenal in training camp, doing everything I possibly. And there's no way. Um, and no disrespect to the players that were playing. There's no way that you could tell me that you're gonna bench me for the whole year and just play these sporadic minutes. So right there, coming back to Houston, I was just like, you know what? This is serious. This is starting to show um, that, you know, after I think it was your eight, seven or eight, and then it shows that, you know, uh, your contract is coming, you know, to your 10th year. And, you know, you got to start making plans. So at that time, basketball business started coming to my mind. Um, mind you, um, basketball wasn't the only thing that I was dealing with. I was dealing with some of my friends going to jail, um, some business partners that I was doing business with, and they weren't holding up to their end of the bargain. So at all of that, through all of that, um, there goes the stress. There goes the pressure. There goes, uh, okay, now it's really not only business on a basketball court, but it's business off. So, um, you know, once my career, once I, you know, after the, the two two years in Houston towards the end of my career, um, I finally retired, man. So what I did with people saying alcohol and drugs, no drugs, you know, smoke some weed, but it wasn't alcohol like that. I finally made it to my time to where I didn't have to worry about um, any money anymore. I didn't have to worry about basketball. So all the traveling that I possibly did on basketball, and that was my time just to relax from 30 years of trying to get to this level. Um, did I overdo it sometimes? Hell yeah. Like, whenever we go somewhere, we're going to pop 30 bottles. Yes, it's going to be 100 people with us. And that at that time, that, that was comfortability. Like, hey, I made it. Um, as far as, you know, the things that people were saying, the only people to me that it hurt were, were probably my kids. They're a little bit younger, but but the people that really, really know me day to day was like, hey, man, it's just something you got to deal with. So that's why I never had to really, I mean, besides even saying this to you, like I'm so comfortable and confident in my skin to where, you know, it, it was definitely a tough time. My dad, I lost my dad. Um, of course, I was divorced. Like all those things happened to me within a three-year time period, and I was able to, um, you know, nip my way through it. And I'm here today to, to still be standing and doing the positive things that I've still been doing. Appreciate you for sharing. On a lighter note, I do have to tell you um, when we when back back when DC Live and and, and what was that? Hey, look, my, 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 I, I got, he made my life love, bro. I'm telling you when I needed to get like in the club, like, look, then when bottles are popping and you just get a, get a bottle of crystal out. And I was like, yeah, I felt like, I felt like, so you need to get the VIP bag. Come on. It was like victory, man, but. It was victory because, like, not only was it for me, it was for, like, people who've been through the struggle. And if I was able to provide a great time and, and not very seldom be honest, like, people fight in clubs all the time, but it wasn't like we were or anybody was, like, going around doing anything violent. But, um, but it was... It was it, it was fun times, though, man. I met I met a lot of people, man, like, throughout those summers of the 10 summers of, of my career, man, were fabulous in D.C. and everywhere. I wouldn't trade it for anything, I'll tell you that. I mean, D.C. is an absolutely awesome city. Um, for the viewers and listeners, D.C., you got to D.C. and at least come, well, not now, obviously, because COVID has dampered, uh, dampered everybody's uh, agenda. But, you know, if you're in the city, definitely, definitely enjoy the night because, um, DC has a lot to offer, a bunch, you know? You can get in a lot of trouble, fun trouble, and you can also get in some jacked up trouble. So just make sure you balance it out, right? You ain't never lie. 
<laughs> you gotta live and you learn. But um, you know, I do have one more question in this basketball related. How was it going against Vince Carter in the dunk contest? Because that's 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 an iconic dunk contest. And uh, for me, like, like I said, uh, you know, behind the back and you're leaning and yeah. and you're gliding in the dunk contest, bro. like you're flying. And then Vince Carter is flying. So I'm like, man, how do you like beat that? You know what? I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I planned that dunk contest probably when I was about eight years old. So I didn't know who it was going to be against. But one day I was like, I'm going to be in a dunk contest. So I wasn't, it wasn't me against Vince. It was just me against the dunk contest. And um, the adrenaline of that arena in Oakland that evening, man, was one of the most fascinating things that I've ever seen. The most time I've ever seen that many celebrities in one place. I was grouped out more than anything. Let me just say that. I was grouped out. I seen yeah. Lisa Ray face to face. I seen Lisa Ray face to face. Diamond? Diamond? Yeah. Diamond. Yeah. So I'm like, Child my first time at LA, that's I see. Unbelievable. Wow. So. That's what's up. Yeah. That's what's up. Hey, man, um, a couple of things. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad you found that, um, that afterlife after basketball because it's kind of hard to shift your life when you know how to do when you're so good at one thing and it's like, okay, let me find out what else I'm good at in life. And I think a lot of people go through that. And I know youngsters go through that when they go from middle school to high school, they're learning their body, they're learning their skill sets, they're learning what it is that they're going to do in the future outside of dribbling, um, catching a football or throwing a football or whatever sport they're into. Um, For the youngsters out there who are going from high school to college, and possibly to the pros, like, do you have any wisdom words? Like, do you, anything that may help them in the future? I think, um, as I'm looking at some of my emails right now, I think that the most important thing, as we're seeing now, that uh, the computers, the futures, they always said, uh, with quarantine going on, as we see a lot of kids are doing their homework through their computers and things like that, I think they should continue to use this as, a stepping stone for the SATs or the ACTs to get them into school. And um, basketball is not going to be there forever. And just remember that, Chris, as you can, you can definitely attest for by you going overseas. It's not all about the NBA. And we all, you know, we have an opportunity. The window for us to be athletes is, is shorter than, you know, our life expectancy. So you got to have your hands in a lot of different things. One of the things that I, I one of the last things I wanted to uh, let people hear from is, you know, you and your in, in your life, you being, I mean, you dropping out of school, dropping out of high school, to coming back to high school, to getting your degree, and going to JUCO, and you know, using your talents to go to the to Maryland, where everybody growing up as young and wanted to play, to getting drafted number one, you no know, number two, should have been number one, then you going to you know what I'm saying? Having that pro career, being an NBA all-star, you know, and now you, you made money, you've gone through some ups and downs that everybody goes through. Um, now, where you stand, you sit back as you reflect. I know a lot of times a lot of athletes are involved in um, different charities, philanthropy, like philanthropic uh, endeavors. Uh, and, and also, I noticed that you've been in, in politics as well a little bit. I remember the last time I saw you, we, uh, we saw each other at the, the convention center over there at the Mary event. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What are you doing as far as like politics? Um, what are you doing as far as um, uh, uh, your, philanthropic? What, what causes are you supporting? Um, just so our viewers out there know and maybe can chime in and help. Of course, I have my foundation that I've established in 1999, the Steve Francis Foundation. Um, so with, with my foundation over the last 20 years, so it's been 20, it'll be 21 years, 99. So yeah, it'll be 21 years. And, uh, what we've been doing is sending kids to college, um, over the last, uh, 15 years, we probably got 12 kids going to different schools, $10,000 scholarships, um, the GPA, a minimum of a 2.5. 
And the thing about us that we do, we look into, you know, your family. Uh, we look into the lowest income homes who, you know, who get help from the government with their money, um, that don't have parents that really work. So we'll take their essays, we'll have our, our committee read them, and then we'll go from there. But uh, the new insensitive incentive that we're adding on now, um, we're going to look forward to, you know, building some more leadership academies in, in low-income neighborhoods, man. Um, I got a, a, a veteran that I've known who has his own schools uh, in his hometown. So we need to start to teach a lot of the things that we're learning through TV, that we're learning that, you know, through the history that we were taught in school as a youngster, maybe I need to get the grades back that uh, that I didn't know the answer to the questions because I shouldn't, because those type of things were against our people. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing a great job of having conversations with my kids about that. And um, <clears throat> I just, you know, want my legacy to live on as far as, you know, my philanthropy, as far as, uh, you know, helping get kids get to college. And uh, so I've been training a lot to start training, you know, some kids one-on-one -on -one over the next uh, month or so. So I'll be back in the gym, Chris, with Greg. So watch out, man. I might okay. try to do something with you. Nah, you just text me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the gym. Um, I would say this, man. Like, a lot of people look at it like, man, Omo County. But, man, people don't understand, man. Like, man, you you, you, man, you live in an apartment with a with damn near up to 18 people. You was on food stamps. And a lot of people don't understand, like, this, the, the life that's out there. And, 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 and to be where you are today to reflect and why you have the Steve Francis Foundation and why are you doing what you're doing, man? I appreciate you and I applaud you uh, for that. Um, I would just say, man, like, and you got any more questions? I mean, this, like, nah, I mean, we're going to wrap it up. All I'm going to say is it's commendable. And Steve, wink. Um, we appreciate you coming on. It is what it is, man. Uh, we had a blast. Ah, you did. Me personally, I enjoy the Kobe stories because I, I, I just know there was a Kobe story and, you know, and you know, and Catch up. Let's have dinner or something when I get in town, man. We go talk to Jason, you know, just sit down and chop it up like we used to, man. Yeah, I seen I seen Jason, I seen Jason last week. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm have I'm gonna have his story up on the show too as well. I mean, I'd love to do dinner, man. No let's, let's get this knocked out. Yeah. And I want to okay. game of horse. Free I'm winning that. I'm, I'm winning that. Right my, my park is right down the street. It's right by Tacoma. It's right huh? down the street. I have a park outside. Yeah, we have a park. That's fine. I'm I'm fine. Hey, I'm glad you brought that up. Right? <laughs> so check it out. I'm, I'm gonna tell you a story before we leave. Right? Last year you came to our game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen, the Misfits won the last Yes League Championship. My squad, where I dropped 34 points in the game, a bucket. Let's get it, he, he, bro. No it's in the stats. It's in the stats. I will pull up the stats. I'm gonna find out tomorrow. Last name is Zambrano. Was franchise out there? Francis was out there? Champions. Shout out to my man oh my Mike God. Stamos who's going to listen to this. He was <laughs> upset. He was real mad. Everybody was mad. Wow. They were mad. They didn't want to see the Misfits win. Championship. But anyway, nonetheless, they win. We appreciate I'm it. it. I'm about to call the, the, the commissioner down in Scoma Park and find out yeah. who won the last Bro, championship. The I will. I will text you the pictures, Steve. I will text There's you the pictures. Well, if anybody wants to, anybody who's listening, it's Did y'all play, play, play inside? Did y'all play inside or outside? Yeah, y'all play this coming. Yeah, because it, it rained out on that. Yeah, you saw us win the championship. You saw me trophy. It was on TV. Chris, he's not lying. It was on TV. They that game. I was there. Yeah, we just have to tell the world we beat Mike Samos. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> but nonetheless, man, 
Hey, Wink, we appreciate you. We're going to wrap it up. Um, anything? Nah, man, I appreciate you, big bro. I'll, I'll text you a little later on. Shout out to the MMS right. squad. Shout out to everybody. Wait, we appreciate you. We love you, man. See you next time. Yo. Wow.